All right, welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast. Post week eight, week headed into week nine. This is going to be a fun one today. And you go out on a limb a little bit. The title of this one is The Only Job in the NFL on Sunday That Doesn't Require Any Previous Football Experience. And we'll explain that. That's our teaser. Our second subtopic is we talked about with the last dance with the Bulls this summer, Michael Jordan flu game. And I've been saying there's no more Michael Jordan flu games in any sport. And literally, there was no Michael Jordan flu game, and we will explain that. And finally, you know, this COVID stuff, the good, the bad, a couple of players have now tested positive and in theory were positive during the game, unknowingly, A.J. Dillon and Marlon Humphrey, and we'll talk about what that might mean. So that, that's the part one of the Pro Football Doc podcast, but let's go to the only job in the NFL on Sundays that doesn't require any previous football experience. Of course, players, you have to have previous football experience. Look, there have been some converted soccer players, for field goals. There has been some converted rugby players, but they still need football experience, whether it's training camp, this, that, the other, before they get put on the field. You don't take a soccer player and say, here you go. You don't take Darren Bennett, one of my friends, an Aussie rules football player, and just throw him into a game. You don't take rugby players uh, and throw them into a game. You train them in football first. So players obviously play football have had their feet on the grass. Coaches, look, yeah, I don't care what kind of analytics guy you are. If you're a coach, you've done football at some level before. I don't care if the referees are all referees at previous levels of the sport. The equipment guys work at different levels of the sport, have football experience. The, uh, the scouts, obviously, the chain gang, the uh, ball boys, uh, the athletic trainers, Pretty much everybody has had previous football experience before Sunday. There's really only, there's only one job and one other role that I can think of. And I'm not talking concession stand worker. Look, if you're the field guy, if you've never worked football before, you don't get to paint the lines or do the field. If you're a broadcaster or a cameraman, you've never worked football before, you're not on the sidelines of an NFL game. It goes throughout. There's only two, one job, because you get paid for it, but two roles. The one role that requires no previous football experience is team owner. You could buy a team and not have any direct football experience other than be a fan. The other one is team physician. Look, I was super lucky and I am not hating on doctors. I'm actually defending them. And why does this come up? Because of a second medical mishap, right? Trent Brown, air in the bloodstream, goes to the hospital. Tyrod Taylor from earlier, punctured lung earlier this season. That's why I'm talking about this and I'm trying to explain it and I'm trying to help people understand. These aren't not necessarily bad doctors, it's the position they're put in. I'm not defending them, I don't even know, I know the Chargers doctor who it is, I don't even know the name off the top of my head of the new 
Raiders medical staff. So in no way am I being critical. I'm just trying to explain. So I was lucky. I worked in a residency where I had some experience with the bears, but if you, most of you that follow me and so forth, no, I've never talked that I'm a bears team physician. Okay, I helped out, I assisted on some surgeries, but I wasn't the guy. I actually worked with the Minnesota Vikings, did a little traveling with them, work training camp, was with them a whole season prior to my going, moving to uh, San Diego. But I don't even count that as experience because that's just observational. But it did help me when I became an assistant team physician of the Chargers and I got in a position to have the lead role. It helped me, the previous football experience helped me understand. And I worked a ton of high school and college and this, that, the other. So I really knew football. As I say, my feet was on the grass as opposed to on the tile floors of the office or the operating room. And it's different when your feet are on the grass. Most times when you're an NFL team position, quality individuals are, are selected. Yes, there's a sponsorship linkage a lot of times, but I'm not trying to get bogged down in that. Clearly, you have to have some success in your career, uh, even with a sponsorship linkage with a hospital. I never had that, but the sponsorship linkage, if anything, there were other hospitals sponsoring the team and I wasn't affiliated. But I was a dying breed and I've moved on and we're not, you know, uh, it's new times. But typical doctor is, let's say, in his 50s, he's, he he is very successful and you're chosen for it because you're the best orthopedist sports medicine guy at that sponsoring hospital institution. You're the busiest surgeon and so you get the role. But the surgery is not what Sunday NFL games are about. You're asked to do a lot of different things. One of them is do rib blocks. Another one is to do IVs. Things that orthopedists and sports medicine doctors never do in their regular practice. I mean, I don't remember the last time I started in an IV since I moved on from the Chargers. But at the Chargers, I did all the time. And I used to tell my guys there, I get it, you don't start IVs uh, all the time, but you need to uh, start IVs because it's part of the gig when you go on the road. Now, we did bring in an IV specialist as well, but even then there's reasons why you bring in guys and don't bring in guys, that's another podcast. But my point is the experiences on an NFL sideline are really, really different, and it happens very, very quickly. I had fellows come and join me, and I used to tell them all the time, the easiest part about sports medicine is the medicine, and that's why you're there, don't get that wrong. The sports side is gonna get you. Hey doc, I need an IV, hurry up, you gotta give it to me within five minutes, use this airbag, and we'll talk about the specifics of that. Hey doc, I need a rib block, uh, you know, can you do this? And you're in a normal practice, you don't do that on high school kids, you don't do that on other people. It's NFL sports medicine. It's different, quicker pace. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a friend of mine on the way here and he was asking me, it makes, he said, it makes me scared to go see a doctor because I hear about all these things. I'm like, and he <clears throat> plays some poker and I said, look, just because you're the best poker player in your garage or in your basement and you win all the time doesn't mean that you can enter the World Series of Poker and be successful. And just because you're a great World Series of Poker player doesn't mean you can enter an online tournament and be successful. 
They're all different. There's different characteristics. If the greatest online poker player, you might get your lunch handed to you at the World Series of Poker event because it's a different setup, different things. So my point is these doctors are not bad doctors. They're just put in very unique situations. So let's talk a little bit. And your feet on the grass is way different than in normal circumstances and situations. So how does this happen with Trent Brown? And you can go to the video that we have at the uh, uh, website here, pro, uh, profootballdoc.com. If you click to it, you can sign up, but you can click right on this video and we can talk more about the details of it and the field views and everything else. But the bottom line is this, a lot of people get IVs to hydrate, hyperhydrate, especially offensive linemen. They like to, to feel heavier sometimes. And remember, Trent Brown was coming off of COVID. They, they want to hyperhydrate because they don't want water sloshing around in their stomach or Gatorade, and they want it to absorb quickly, and they know they're gonna sweat, so even if it's cold out, and so, and some of it is yes, habit and routine, et cetera. So it's not unusual to get IVs before game, halftime, et cetera. And Trent Brown admittedly was coming off of COVID. So the interesting thing is not only does this ex explain what happened, but remember before the game, I was tweeting saying, I've never seen a 90-minute inactive be missed, right? The Raiders did not release their inactive list at 90 minutes. It wasn't public until about 60 or you know 70 70 or 60 minutes before the game because I believe that this whole thing was happening and they were talking to the league saying hey can we switch it up and the answer is no you can't I mean it's unfair to the Browns to have them turn in a list the Raiders see it and be able to parry and with who their inactives are so no Trent Brown was actually active yesterday but went to the hospital, and the details are in the video at the website. But in any case, how it happens, you start an IV, and it actually is fairly easy to happen. Shouldn't happen, no question. But the first thing I wanna get out there is, you don't die from this. Trent Brown, mark my words, will play next week. So he's better off than Tyrod Taylor, okay? In the movies, you see a little air bubble, or you go to the doctor, or you're having the surgery or something, you see a little air bubble in the IV, and people kind of freak out about that. It will not kill you. It's most likely not even a big deal, because that little air bubble is less than one cc. In the IV bags, there are 30, maybe 60 cc's, one or two ounces of air. Look at the next time you see an IV bag. But when they hang an IV bag, typically, they hang it up high, why? Because it's by gravity is how it trickles in. And you see it going drip, drip, or drip, 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 or drip, drip, depending on how fast they want it to go in. A typical rate where they're trying to hydrate you might be 100 cc's an hour. So that one liter bag takes 10 hours to drip in. In the NFL, we'll put that one liter bag in you in five minutes. In the NFL, we'll put two liters into you in 10 minutes. That's an estimation. Bigger gauge things, but also instead of dripping in by gravity, we do use air pressure bags to force it in, to run it in. And literally, on your veins, not to be grotesque when we're doing it, you could put your finger next to the vein, you feel like a little, not a faucet, but like a little flow of water. I mean, it goes into you, okay? 
So that whole one liter bag that normally would be 10 hours is less than 10 minutes, five minutes run into you. So how do we do that? With a pressure bag, like a cuff, and it fills up. Normally that little bit of air that's in the IV bag will never go into your veins because it's by gravity. Because it's by gravity that air isn't being pushed. But when you put a pressure bag on it, that air is being pushed. So what we always did is I always said, anyone who plugged in the bag, your responsibility was to get every last speck of air out. Because when the bag, you put the pressure sleeve around it, the bag looks full. Without the pressure sleeve, the bag looks full at the beginning, but as it's running out, the bag gets flat, and you know when it's ending. And quite honestly, if it ends, that little bit of air isn't even running in. But when you have pressure bags, the whole point is you pump them up, and it always looks full. Because in the beginning, it's 100% water, very little air. And in the middle, it's 50% air, 50% water, the pressure bag. The air in the pressure bag is outside, but there's still air in the water bag. And the, water, the bag always looks full, so you don't know when it's ending. And that little last bit of air can get pushed into the line. And if you get 30 or 60 cc's and it goes into your body, Fortunately, unless you have a heart defect, nothing happens. If you have a heart defect, it can get from the right side to the left side, go to your brain and be catastrophic. But that's like unheard of. So what happens is it gets filtered out by the lungs, the excess air, and then you feel it. It feels funny, you don't like it. It's disconcerting, you're short of breath. The air goes away, but certainly it's, and there's no procedure needed, your body absorbs it, but it's uncomfortable and very, scary, especially when it comes very quickly, but that's logistically how it happens. There have been papers written about it to not do it. It has to do with the airbag. So tying it all together, I'm not saying, the last thing I'm saying is these are bad doctors getting involved in the NFL. I'm saying that the NFL sports medicine is very different than the typical medicine, and I feel bad for the Raiders, I feel bad for the Chargers, I feel bad for any doctor put in some of these unusual circumstances. Uh, yes, you're not supposed to drop a lung with the block, and I've done a hundred of them, but it can happen. But I'm not trying to excuse it, but these are new circumstances. I don't know how much of a role it played into it, but the Raiders doctors are certainly new. They have a new sponsorship. They're in Las Vegas now, and I don't, I'm not aware that the previous Oakland Raiders doctors are traveling down to Las Vegas, or in this case to Cleveland, um, because they were playing the Browns. But it's unusual situations. These doctors are put in unusual new situations, and maybe that has a role in terms of what it is. Maybe some of the doctors have previous football experience. I don't know them, but I'm just saying I've seen plenty of times where a doctor who's an excellent top orthopedic surgeon or primary care doctor, the best, but they don't necessarily have feet on the grass experience. That's all I'm saying. They can be the best doctors. What you do is different. Um, and look at poor Ben DiNucci. Heralded, great athlete, draft pick, we're gonna start him and you have to say he looked horrible against the Eagles for the Cowboys. Is he a great athlete? I'm sure he is. Is he a great quarterback in college? He obviously did very well at James Madison. 
He even had spent time at Pitt and what have you. But now with the speed of the game in the NFL, not having been used to it as a rookie, he didn't do so well. I hope with some reps under his belt and some more experience in the system, his next chance will do a lot better. It's some of the newness that doesn't make Ben DiNucci a bad guy. He just wasn't up to the challenge because of the newness. These doctors, I'm sure, are great doctors. It's just the newness and the difference. Remember, team physician, and I'm not saying that any of these particular doctors involved. I'm saying it's the only job in the NFL on Sunday that it's not a mandatory prerequisite that you have extensive football previous experience, at least with your feet on the grass on the sidelines. Now, you can be a very qualified doctor. For example, some attorneys are excellent but they don't have a lot of experience in court because there's litigators and non-litigators, right? So it's just different in that respect. So moral of the story is if you're gonna get one of the NFL jobs that don't require previous football experience, get the owner's job. That's the better one in terms of what's going on. Um, the, Anyways, uh, and, and there's, there's, there's no one above you to criticize you in terms of what's going on and there's no legal malpractice. But anyways, hopefully I, that helps understand the process here. He'll be fine. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, and uh, uh, let's move on. The next thing is the Michael Jordan flu game. How ironic is this? I kept saying there's not going to be a Michael Jordan flu game. And four of the five... Bengals were slated, starting offensive linemen were slated to be out. And the fifth left guard, by the name of Michael Jordan, is sick, has the flu, and can't play. In previous years, he probably could tough it out with an IV and probably wanted to this time. But in the pandemic and COVID rules, you have to have two negative COVID tests if you have any sort of outward symptoms before you can say it's just the regular flu or something then you can play. That's why uh, Melvin Gordon a couple weeks ago couldn't play against the Patriots in travel because he popped up with strep throat symptoms on Thursday, couldn't get a second negative test by Saturday when the team was traveling and was ruled out. So Michael Jordan, the Bengals left guard, was ruled out of this game. And so once again, it came true, there was no Michael Jordan flu game. That doesn't work that way anymore. If Michael Jordan, his Aaronis himself, were playing today, if you present with the flu, if LeBron, if, if, if Patrick Mahomes presents with the flu, Lamar Jackson, you're gonna get ruled out unless you have the two COVID tests. So no more Michael Jordan flu games at all anymore, literally and figuratively. Um, A.J. Dillon and Marlon Humphrey tested positive. And uh, the uh, A.J. Dillon played in the game, which means that um, Aaron Jones, I think is likely out, that leaves up Jamal Williams only. Uh, the hope is it's not going to go through team. The hope is there's no close contacts. Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens, the same. Here's the deal, though. Why are we getting these new positives? Because the NFL has changed the way that they test. They're doing PCR testing game day and point of care. The PCR testing doesn't come back till after the game. The point of care is immediate. So you are going to potentially have uh, Justin Turner, 
Justin Turner. Yeah, Justin Turner, World Series type. During a game or after a game, you find out you're positive because there's a delay in those PCR tests. The point of care tests come back quickly, but perhaps they're not as accurate. So the bad news is you, there's always holes in testing, and A.J. Dillon, Martin Humphrey were on the field. The bigger risk is to their own team than to the opponents. I'm sure this has happened before and we just haven't known about it, but we're knowing catching more of these now because of the different testing. And with the different testing, it looks bad. But so far, and I'm not saying if we know someone's positive, no big deal, just let them play because the opposing team isn't going to get it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes hugging Stephon Gilmore was zero risk, but I'm saying you're not supposed to get it based on viral load as we've talked about with the short contact. It's not as likely for an opponent to get it. In college football and in the NFL, and the pandemic is still young and we're still learning about COVID, there hasn't been cross-team transmission yet in the game of football to our documented knowledge in college and in the NFL. May happen again soon, but clearly it ha didn't happen when the Vikings and Titans play. Hopefully it won't happen here and go from there. Um, and uh, Christian, uh, congratulations on uh, your pending nuptials. He got engaged. Um, but he's telling me as we're recording this, two things have happened. Number one, that um, Jimmy Garoppolo is indeed out indefinitely uh, with this high ankle that we went over here and we covered on the injury index. And number two, George Kittle apparently has a fracture of some sort. Let me see. Uh, listed as out eight weeks. Eight weeks. So I'm looking at the NFL reports. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo ankle out indefinitely. George Kittle might be out for season, the ankle, at least the rest of this month. Uh, uh, let's see, Jimmy Garoppolo indefinitely, eight weeks with a broken bone in his foot. Early x-rays were negative, so this might be a stress-type fracture. Is this a Jones fracture? That would be the most common uh, type of thing. Uh, so developing news here. Maybe when we find out a little more information, we'll do a separate Periscope or video on what that is as we find out. Anyways, that's uh, breaking news as it happens. Pro Football Doc Podcast. The injury rundown that we pre-recorded is next. So, of course, uh, the information you hear there is not as updated by about 20 minutes as what you just heard here on Jimmy Garoppolo and George Kittle. And, uh, but at least I was right saying Jimmy G is not going to play. Obviously, the news is a little polluted with George Kittle as well, which I think was going to play. I'm sure the, the lines are moving as we speak <laughs> related to the San Francisco and Green Bay Packers game. Or actually, as I look at it right now, South Point, a couple of the others have pulled the game off, um, which probably is what they do to they reassess. But I guarantee you it's not coming back at two and a half anymore. That's gonna, that number is going to change quite a bit. All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening to part one of the Pro Football Doc podcast. All right, guys, uh, Pro Football Doc podcast. This is our injury rundown portion. 
where we go position by position, and uh, then we'll end with Beast of the Week. Of course, uh, we'll have the uh, other features segment as well, but let's uh, get to it. Buys this week coming up, Cincinnati, Cleveland, LA Rams, and the Eagles finally get a rest to try and get a little healthier uh, there. But let's talk uh, position by position on the rundowns. There's news coming out as we speak. We'll try and catch it all. Uh, first off, in quarterback, uh, Andy Dalton had the concussion. Obviously, the Ben DiNucci experience is hopefully just one week. And uh, back to Andy Dalton next week. But we told you last week on the podcast that Andy Dalton would be out. But I think it's only out for the one week, and he'll be back. One of the best things from this, I think, is hopefully you get a rundown. You can start planning your fantasy stuff, thinking about your DFS stuff. But the best things is jump on some of the uh, early wager lines if you're in one of those uh, legal betting states, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Colorado, West Virginia, now Tennessee, uh, Indiana as well. In any case, uh, let's talk Jimmy G. And uh, let me show you what Jimmy G had here. We'll go to the live video here on the computer. This is NFL Game Pass here. And uh, Jimmy G, four, about 4.30 left in the fourth quarter. He drops back, and he'll end up about right here where the arrow is. And pay attention to his right ankle. That's the ankle he had a high ankle sprain on. It's under a pile here, but pay attention to it. We'll see another view in a second. He re-injures the same right ankle, the push-off ankle, as he did previously where he missed some time. You see him limping right there on the right side. He, he gets off the field. Remember, when he first had the high ankle, he actually played a few more plays. This is a better view of it, end zone view here. Look at his right ankle, and I'll try and stop it in time. He'll be right about here, and we'll rewind it, okay? So we'll rewind it for you here, and we'll go slow motion here. Pay attention to the right ankle here. His foot is trapped right there. You see? The knee's pointing forward, the foot's pointing out. This is where he suffers the high ankle sprain in the pile. And now when he gets up, he's slow, and uh, the punt comes, and you'll see him limping on the sidelines here, and it's the right side. He does not come back into the game. The score, yes, is 27 to 7. But this was not a benching. This was not preservation of their quarterback because of the three score game. There was still a, more than a quarter left. You'll see him limping here. This is the realization that this is a similar injury than before as he's limping. And, uh, and this is uh, him being pulled for injury. And with the Thursday game coming up here, I do not believe that Jimmy G will play against the Packers. So make your own decisions. What's the difference between Jimmy G and Nick Mullins? But I think the line's going to move when that information comes out. Why do I say that? A, this is a real injury, and he wasn't just being pulled for the score. B, it's an aggravation of the injury. C, it usually swells. Remember, when he hurt it the first time, he played another quarter or more before he exited the game. And remember, the first game he came back, he got pulled because he couldn't push off. The game's only uh, three days away now, four days from Sunday. He's not playing when they host the Packers, is my strong opinion. Um, so let's go back to uh, the uh, rundown here. Uh, next up, Sam Darnold. 
Sam Darnold may not play against the Patriots. It, he had a re-aggravation of the AC joint sprain, fell on it again. And this is why he missed several weeks. That week four Thursday game is when he hurt it. I think it was week four. Um, I don't remember exactly now. But it was a Detroit game on a Thursday. Then he missed the next two weeks and then has returned to play after that. And the reason was the Jets said they didn't want him playing if he couldn't practice and to preserve them. Let me tell you, it's going to be tough for him to practice full this week. He might get in limited. He might be out. If the Jets are consistent in the way that they have handled Sam Darnold, he will not play against the Patriots this coming week. Don't know if they'll be consistent in how they handle it. Clearly, I could go to video, but it's a, a, a shoulder separation, AC joint sprain. Next up, breaking news. Gardner Minshew, his thumb. He broke it, I think it was October 11th, has played two games. Now bye week, now comes the announcement that he's out for this week. The Jake Luton, uh, rookie, is going to get some snaps. Mike Glennon, Luton's going to get the first team reps. Look, it is my opinion that if the Jacksonville Jaguars wanted to play Minshew, that he could play. He's played two games with the broken thumb. It's not unstable if you can pick up a ball and play in an NFL game. Did it affect him in those two games? Probably. But now he's two weeks better by the next time he plays than the last time he played. He could play in this game. The Jaguars are deciding not to play him. Either one, because they feel like he hasn't been effective because of the thumb and they want to give him a fair chance. Or second theory is that uh, they don't want the, uh, they, they want to be fair to him, so to speak. The, the second reason is they don't want him unless he's 100%, right? Other reasons, coaching decision, GM decision. You can say tanking for Trevor. I'm not saying that it went that far. Maybe they want to see Luton. All I'm saying is Gardner Minshew could play this week, but the Jacksonville Jaguars are not playing him. What does that mean? That's for the pundits and reporters and analysts to figure out. But medically, I believe he could play. I'm not saying it's nefarious. I'm not saying they don't like Gardner Minshew. Is it as simple as, hey, look, let's see what we have in Luton and see where we're going to go. And guess what? If Luton doesn't do well, we didn't actually bench Gardner Minshew. It really was his thumb, thumb, thumb. So we still have full confidence in Gardner. Is it time to have him take a deep breath? Or do they just want him to play after he gets full reps in practice? Don't know. But clearly, I believe he could play, but he's not going to play. Moving on to running backs. Daryl Henderson with a thigh hip injury for the Rams. Did not return to the game. Soft tissue muscle injury. Had just come off a hamstring. We'll have to wait and see the severity. Tevin Coleman, knee issue again. He literally just got off injured reserve. And now um, he might go back on it. The bottom line is he didn't even finish the first quarter. So it doesn't bode well. The uh, 49ers merry-go-round at running back continues. Mostert is still out on IR. Jeff Wilson just went on IR. Uh, Tevin Coleman's the one that was activated in his place. So Jeff Wilson's out a couple weeks. Jarek McKinnon's still not 100%. So Jamichael Hasty is the uh, man. Uh, McKinnon still, you know, effects of that ACL from a couple of years ago, in my opinion. Let's move on to the uh, 
Seattle Seahawks uh, carousel at running back. Uh, I told you I didn't believe that Chris Carson was a game time decision. Now the Seahawks are saying, no, no, this coming week he really is a game time decision. He really wasn't last week. Well, I told you he wasn't this week. Does he have a chance next week? Maybe. I'm still dubious. Um, this week I thought he was out for sure, and he was. Carlos Hyde is probably a couple weeks still. Remember, where I had it was least likely was Hyde, then Carson, then Travis Homer, who was active, and then DJ Dallas was sort of the, the guy, and DJ Dallas was the guy. And that's what it's going to be. I think DJ Dallas, Travis Homer is going to get healthier. Chris Carson has a chance, but far from guaranteed to play this coming week. Carlos Hyde's still out. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, I believe, will return this week. The Thursday game, I didn't think it was realistic. I think we finally do see Christian McCaffrey this week. Mark Ingram uh, is another week out here from his ankle. Nick Chubb, the uh, Browns have a bye. I believe week nine, after the week nine bye, Nick Chubb will play. Uh, we're four weeks from the injury. I thought Nick Chubb would be ready by six weeks. It's six weeks after the bye. Austin Eckler injured the same day, week four. Originally, people said a four to six week timeline. I told you Nick Chubb would come back before Austin Eckler. I still believe that. We're in the four to six week window for Eckler. His practice window has not opened. Uh, Anthony Lynn has admitted the injury is a little bit worse. The hamstrings pulled off the bone. I think Eckler will return this year, but it'll be December before he returns. And my poor team, the former Chargers, I think it was four straight weeks they've blown a 16-point lead. They won one of those games, but they, they, they got him yesterday. Anyways, um, Aaron Jones for this Thursday. Calf is iffy at best. And that's big news because of A.J. Dillon is definitely out with COVID, so that leaves Jamal Williams. Assuming A.J. Dillon wasn't hanging around next to Jamal Williams on the sidelines. And uh, remember, team meetings, locker rooms, practices, or standing on the sideline is potentially more dangerous because you're next to players for a more prolonged period of time than even on the field. I'm not saying the field is not doesn't provide any danger. Yes, you're tackling people, whatever. But I am. There is some concern. I hope Jamal Williams is not going to test positive for COVID because there is more likelihood you're around your position group. You've seen what happens with what's happened with the Raiders at one point and different position groups, etc. So AJ Dillon is someone is out this week. But I do not believe the Packers will have a Aaron Jones. It's possible, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, Kenyon Drake's out another uh, uh, week or two with his high ankle. Miles Sanders, I think, is another week away with his knee. And uh, Joe Mixon continues to be a surprise inactive with his foot. And uh, we'll see what happens there. Moving on to wide receivers. Let's talk about a couple of soft tissue injuries at the wide receiver position. T.Y. Hilton with the groin. He's going to miss a week or two or more. The Colts... Uh, uh, you know, he really hasn't connected well with Phillip Rivers. He's been disappointing this year. I know I have him in Scott Fishbowl uh, Fantasy League. Hasn't done much. This groin is going to shut him down. Maybe he needs a, a couple weeks just to get right overall. 
and figure it out. Soft tissue injury, not severe. Don't think it's season ending, but it's gonna miss a little bit of time. Kenny Galladay's hip, also a soft tissue muscle injury. It said he's gonna miss next week. I think that's fair. I think he would have a chance to play in two weeks, but next week he's out for sure. I don't think he's gonna hit injured reserve. Adam Humphreys with a concussion, 50-50 chance one week. It's usually a one or two week injury most times and more times two weeks than one week so usually you miss a game but there is still a chance we'll have to follow him as the week goes. Cooper Cup, he fell on a dorsiflexed wrist as it was jammed up. The big worry there is I know he got it taped, I know he finished the game, I know he's tough, I know he made more catches but I'll feel better when I get a report that the scaphoid fracture was ruled out either with x-ray or an MRI Subtle non-displaced fractures can happen with the way that he fell down, and uh, it can just feel like a wrist sprain. But due to poor blood supply, that can present a bigger problem. So let's just check that box, and hopefully uh, we get a good report on Cooper Cup there. Julian Edelman out for at least three weeks with the knee scope, and the way the Patriots are going, you have to ask when he might come back and is there any reason for him to push it. And Kill Harry has a good chance to come back next week after his concussion. Chris Godwin is missing the Monday game tonight with his finger and has a good chance of coming back next week. Deontay Johnson with a hamstring has been, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's had a rough year with injuries, but I think he'll stay on the field. Uh, Sammy Watkins out again with hamstring. He might be another week or two. Michael Thomas was out this week, second week in a row with a hamstring. I fully expected him to be out week seven. Week eight, I thought he would be out, he was. I think week nine is really his first chance. Not a guarantee, but his first chance. We'll have to follow and see if he hits the practice field more. I know he was limited a little bit late last week in practice. I think this week is his first realistic chance to return and play. And Emmanuel Sanders, barring any complications, will come off the COVID list. Uh, the number two in New Orleans will play. Calvin Ridley, his uh, midfoot sprain from the Thursday game, list frank type injury, I believe will miss this week and then come back after next week's bye. We've been on record with that. Brian Edward with the foot ankle, the Raiders was inactive. Jamison Crowder with the groin, hard to play through for the Jets receiver and likely out again. Brashard Perriman with the concussion, hopefully can make it back. Tim Patrick and Debo Samuel dealing with hamstrings, tough injuries for wide receivers. We'll look at their practice reports. Let's move on to the tight ends. Uh, Trent Brown. Do yourself a favor, go to Pro Football Doc here, and I'll show you right here where we go here. This is the landing page uh, on the computer. We'll get it formatted better for the uh, uh, mobile users, but you can use it on mobile too. It's completely free to sign up if you haven't already. Here is the Buccaneers versus Giants game and the scores and the injury index and the field view, and you can flip it back and forth. Etc. Insights, the uh, Doc Live. But over here, recent videos. Click over here, the Trent Brown injury, and uh, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, first of all, you get a look at the war room, and we did this live in game, um, and uh, because I thought it was important enough to have breaking news to explain why Trent Brown had to go to the hospital, etc. But air in his 
veins. Uh, we talk about it a little bit in the early part of this uh, podcast, but if you've missed it, go to this uh, video here and uh, check it out. But Trent Brown, here's the thing, will be back. I believe he's still in theory in the hospital, but I think it's a matter of logistics that he's got to he, he stayed behind in Cleveland and then flight back, etc. Maybe he stayed behind because they want to be extra sure because of the flight risk when you get air in the blood vessels and it goes to the heart. It goes sorry, goes to the lungs, not the heart. But I still believe he plays this next week. This is not going to. This is a Tyrod Taylor esque, but. Tyrod missed, wasn't cleared for a month. I believe Trent Brown will be eligible to play this week. Ronnie Stanley, not so much. Ronnie, St Ronnie Stanley, congratulations to his market timing. Got his big uh, record deal for an offensive lineman. Ankle fracture dislocation, that's been confirmed now. Uh, the similarity to Dak is it's an ankle fracture dislocation. The, the similarity is they both need surgery bone and ligament damage. The similarity is the season is over. The similarity is both will be ready to go week one, 2021. The difference is Dak Prescott's was an open fracture through the skin. I do not believe that's the case for Ronnie Stanley. The other difference is Ronnie Stanley penned his long-term deal and Dak Prescott did not. But I'm optimistic Dak will still get his money. End of his season there. And then line mate, uh, right guard, Tyree Phillips apparently has a high ankle sprain, maybe a risk of a mild MCL knee injury, did not finish the game, likely to miss this next week too. So two Ravens offensive linemen down. Mitch Morris with the concussion. Bobby Massey with a knee injury with an MCL. Lane Johnson missed the game against the Cowboys. All week, Eagles and beat reporters are optimistic. I was a little pessimistic because of the left knee MCL in addition to the ankle injury. Really hard to deal with two injuries, and he did not play this week. Um, and uh, hopefully the rest will help him. Will Hernandez of the Giants with the COVID as well as Graham Glasgow. That usually carries a two-week absence. Um, Vitae with the foot injury. He's been in and out for that, so he'll probably soldier through. Wyatt Teller with the uh, Browns with the calf issue did not play. Uh, hard to say when he'll return. David Bakhtiari, chest. Still haven't elucidated what kind of injury it is to his chest. Um, I've been optimistic that he would play, and he hasn't yet. Maybe he's got a chance for this Thursday. Don't know. Cody Ford with the left knee MCL. Mitchell Schwartz of the Chiefs. The Chiefs were without three starting offensive linemen with the back issue that seems to be lingering a little bit. We'll have to uh, follow that. And we'll come back to the Bengals uh, offensive line a little bit. Trey Turner with the groin. Oh, and Cody Whitehair with the calf with the Bears as well is still out. Some defensive injuries. Uh, Miles Garrett, apparently his knee is okay per MRI. Minor issue. Quan Alexander out with a high ankle for the 49ers, now needs to pass a physical before the uh, deal with the Saints is sealed. Interesting, uh, Kiko Alonso coming off the ACL, an injured player, and Quan Alexander, a currently injured player. So there's gonna be two physicals that need to be cleared before that trade happens. Um, Jalen Ramsey without due, was out due to illness, and um, the uh, did not play in the uh, in the game, and uh, 
don't think it's COVID related. Rocky Asin with a concussion. Cameron, Cameron Dantzler indeed flew home with the team. He was neck and head. He was put on a spine board, carted off. We said in game that did not look like an injury that would lead to any permanent damage, fracture, or paralysis. Thankfully, he was released from the hospital and flew home with his team. Maurice Hurst seemed to have rolled up on his ankle. Uh, Joey Bosa out with a concussion. Um, Jamal Adams, in theory, is going to be back for week nine, according to Pete Carroll, at least, between his groin and his illness. I think he's missed a handful of weeks at this point in time. Sheldon Rankins, the news is relatively good. I think it's just a mild MCL, maybe one at most two games out. TV made it seem like a bigger deal because they said they wouldn't show the replay again. Mark Fields injured his lung. Apparently a cleat caused a uh, pneumothorax, a, a punctured lung. Not the cleat itself. The cleat did not stick through the skin, stick through the muscle, through the ribs, and puncture his lung. Indirectly it did. It hit hard enough to perhaps kick and break a rib. The backside of the rib helped nick slash puncture the lung. But still, it just shows you uh, the forces people take on the field. No, the cleat didn't get stuck into his lung. That doesn't work that way. But the force of the cleat caused the damage. For example, if you get injured in a car accident, uh, unless you're on a motorcycle, the other car doesn't actually contact you. It contacts the outside of your car, and then it shakes you up and causes you to break your leg or whatever it is. It's not like the other car's bumper hit your leg, unless you're a pedestrian or a motorcyclist or a bicyclist, but it's an indirect injury. Same concept, but I think I was getting questions like, how does a cleat get to the lung? It doesn't get to the lung, actually. Uh, Darius Slay with an ankle. Oh, good news on Cam Hayward. There were lots of Lachman tests and drawers on the field, but it's not his ACL, reported as a minor quad issue. Marlon Humphrey with COVID, uh, and uh, we're, we're covering that in the first part. Uh, Desmond Trufant with a hamstring. Uh, Mike, Hill, Mike Hughes on IR with his neck. Uh, Todd Davis with the, the COVID as well. And uh, Stefan Gilmore did not play like we thought he would not play. Kevin King may not be ready to go with the quad. Also, Darnell Savage from the, from the Packers. Uh, Josh Norman still out with the hamstring. Uh, A.J. Boye back from his shoulder, but now with a concussion, as well as uh, Mika Hyde. So that's pretty much the rundown of the injuries. You can see it's midseason. It's getting longer. But I want to bring up a beast of the week. I'm always trying to be positive when we talk about the beast of the week. And this beast of the week is really to an, an entire group. And quite honestly, it may be at the group of backups, not even starters. Early last week, I made a prediction and said, the Bengals might be in trouble here. They have already had one offensive lineman out for most of the season. But as after week seven, going into week eight, I felt there were gonna be three additional offensive linemen that did not play, that would not play. Uh, their left tackle, their center, their guard, the right tackle's been out already, and only one guy, their left guard, was going to play. That was my thought, and I said, watch out. That's, they're playing the Titans. They have a good line. But guess what happened? Their left guard got sick, Michael Jordan, and we talked about the Michael Jordan flu game. There not being any, and ironic, this is actually Michael Jordan. All five Bengals projected starting offensive linemen were out. Four new ones out. One's been out for most of the season. 
Five new offensive linemen. Backups came in and got the job done and beat the favored Titans, a tough defensive front. Didn't give up sacks. Gave up. There was a bad snap early. There was a little offsides early. There was a little shaky start early. But overall, did unbelievably well. Made me look bad in my outkick picks. Got, the, got it wrong. My information was right. They weren't going to start. Who knew the backup offensive linemen for the Bengals were that good? And some of it maybe has to do with Joe Burrows and being able to identify the blitz and get out of the pocket and, and get rid of the ball, etc. But my hat's off to the Cincinnati Bengals in general and especially their backup offensive linemen. With limited preseason and the COVID protocols and to lose your entire starting offensive line and come out a winner and not give up sacks, you guys are the beast of the week in my impression. Uh, and so uh, hats off to you guys. Well, that's the Pro Football Doc podcast, the injury rundown. Subscribe at all the usual places, the website at OutKick. And uh, check out the site and uh, get in early and, and get in some early action, the favorable lines and workout middles or use it for fantasy, whatever you want. Open to all your comments. And uh, thanks for watching. Uh, have